Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10. Here it goes. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, uh, the, the worldview of the ancient... Israelite or the ancient Jew or even into the, the Roman society, the worldview would have been a supernatural worldview. They, they, they didn't see the world as we did. When we see modern phenomenon or things, we tried to quantify it or explain it away. For them, it was always spiritual. They believed in the supernatural realm. They believed in the unseen realm. In fact, I would say it is impossible to be a Christian and not believe in the unseen realm. It's impossible. It's actually a very foundation of what we believe. We believe that this natural realm, our five senses, our emotions, our feelings, is not the only realm that we deal with. In fact, there is a deeper level. There is a spiritual level. There is an unseen kingdoms at work right now in this space and in this place. The unseen realm is real. The unseen realm is, we believe in it. We believe that there are spiritual powers and cosmic powers, both good and evil, and so would this ancient audience. In Ephesus, this letter where Paul is writing, it is not just the epicenter of uh, commerce or economy in the Asia Minor, but it was also the epicenter of spirituality or religion. They have a massive temple that would overlook the harbor that you would pull into, and it would be the, the, the temple to the goddess Diana. So they were very spiritual. In fact, we see in Acts 19, when the church of Ephesus began, the, the, Paul shows up and there's a group of believers and he starts telling them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, have you ever heard of this? And he said, no, we've never heard of this. We've only heard about the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of the blood, but we've never heard about the baptism of the Spirit. So, well, let me teach you. So he teaches them and he prays and they said they're filled up and they have the evidence of speaking in tongues and a riot breaks out. Why? Because the, the idol makers, the people who would make the idols to the goddess Diana, it was their commerce. In fact, they had a full, full on economic shutdown because so many people started leaving this spirituality for saying, I'm going to go into the heavenly kingdom and I'm going to walk. And they understood the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood what it meant in, the, in, in spiritual war. If he, the place in Ephesus understood spiritual warfare. In fact, their whole city was, was riddled with it. it, was, it there was spiritual warfare. They understood when this church began, it wasn't just a natural meeting of religion. It was felt good. No, they understood the statement that God made when the church of Ephesus blew up and started to explode because he began to say that, that I, Yahweh, God, is better and greater than Diana. This is the statement that was made by God. This was the statement when the church was, was launched in Ephesus. So they would understand the unseen realm. There are two kingdoms at work. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's two kingdoms. Now, they're not of uh, equal power or equal effectiveness, but there are two kingdoms. Equal power or equal effectiveness is something they call dualism, where they're equal and they're just dueling it out and hopefully one of them wins. It's also not like the force in Star Wars, right? Like they balance each other out, like it's good and evil, like the yin and yang, right? No, the, the kingdom of heaven always wins. The kingdom of heaven is more effective and more powerful and more there. But just because it's more effective and more powerful doesn't mean the kingdom of darkness doesn't exist. So there are two kingdoms and there was an understanding in Ephesus of these two kingdoms. 
The book of Ephesians is broken up into two sections. The first three chapters is all reminding us about the foundation of what Jesus did. It's, in fact, theologians believe it's a doxological book. It's a book of praise. It's a book of glory given to God because of what Jesus did. So the first three chapters are all about what Jesus did. The next three chapters are all about how do we live this out based on what Jesus did for us. And so it's this book of praise. It's this book of giving God glory. It's this book of laying a foundation of how do we live our life. And Paul is trying his best to elevate the perspective of the church to the heavenly realm. Throughout this book, he keeps saying to the heavenly realms and see it from, from heaven's perspective. He wants to elevate the perspective of their problems. He wants to elevate the perspective of their pain. He wants to elevate their perspective of their persecution to the place of the heavenly realm because he understood that this fight that we are fighting is not a flesh and blood, but it is by the spirit. So he wants to elevate their perspective. He wants them to see the purpose of the church, which is to reconcile people to God, to reconcile people to people, and to then begin to live in life together and in unity and join this together and fight this fight that is a spiritual fight. So now we get to Ephesians chapter 10. We get to Ephesians chapter, or sorry, Ephesians 6 verse 10, and we think, man, this is just for those who really like demonic warfare. Right? Like, this is how the Pentecostals took Ephesians 6. Everything else in Ephesians, that's really practical. And they just disconnect Ephesians 6 from the rest of the book. And they say, this is about fighting demons. Right? Like, some of you are like, no, it's, yeah, you've said that. Okay. But when he says this, he says, finally, what Paul is doing is he's actually tying the book together in Ephesians 6. It's not just some separate one-off chapter about fighting demons. It's actually bringing everything together and saying everything that came before this is done by this, spiritual warfare. The only way we can accomplish the practical living out what Jesus did is we have to understand that it is a battle in the spirit, not of the flesh. This is what he's saying. So how do we fight this fight? Because the thing is that sometimes we, we are fighting it on the wrong battlefield. We, you know, we, we, we challenge someone to a fight, but we're actually fighting the fight. On the, you ever done that? You, hey, let's fight. But then you show up to a different place on purpose because you didn't actually want to fight. You're just all talk. That's me, you know. Like, I'm going to fight you. And then I show up somewhere else, you know. Oh, sorry, I missed the place. Got the wrong location. Sometimes that's what we do with the spiritual fight, okay? We, 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 we choose to engage on this fight in the natural realm. We choose to engage in the realm that we understand, our feelings, our emotions, our, 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 our natural things, but it's that we have to understand that the fight is not in the natural. It's in the spirit. So how do we fight this fight? Number one is we have to put on the person. We have to put on the person. Uh, if you have been in church long enough, like I have, I grew up in church, you've probably heard about the armor of God, right? Um, I remember asking my parents, can I be a Jedi for Halloween? They're like, you're gonna be the best Jedi there is. I get so excited. And they're like, you're going to be Bible man. I'm like, what? <laughs> Bible man? What the heck is that? He's got the armor of God. I'm like, okay, I want to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> but look at it. He's Bible man. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I don't want to be him, right? So we've heard about the armor of God. We've seen Bible man. We've seen, you know, at the Christian bookstores, they have the full get up for the kids. And so everyone else is dressing up as King Arthur and I'm dressing up as the armor of God, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm weird. Okay, whatever. This is my past. I'm processing with you guys. All right. We're good. We're family. We've all heard about the armor of God, but we have to understand what did this audience understand about the armor of God when he mentions this in Ephesians 6. So when he begins to mention the armor of God and you got to put on these things, the first thing that would come to their mind would be Isaiah 59, 17. This would be the first verse that would come to mind because it says this, he has put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. 
And, and it says, the salvation on his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance of clothing and wrapped himself in the zeal as a cloak. So what is he saying? He's saying, it's God's nature. Paul often uses this analogy when he's talking about transformation. He, he says, take off the old clothes and put on the new, the new creation in Christ. So when he mentions the armor of God, what is he mentioning? He's saying, put on the nature of God. It's time to be transformed. So sometimes we take the armor of God and we sit there and we do the prayer, put on the helmet, put on the breastplate. You know, I've done that. You put on the belt, you put on the sword. All of those things are good. But what he's saying is living a life of transformation. One of the greatest defenses against the enemy is that you're transformed into the nature of God. Every time that God renews your mind and transforms you in this relationship with God, guess what it is? It's a, declare, it's a declaration of war on the spirit. It is a spiritual warfare as you walk and journey through this relationship with Jesus and he changes you from the inside out. To stay the same is to try to say, I'm neutral in this fight. You cannot be neutral in this fight. And so God is saying, I want to transform who you are. So when he's talking about the armor of God, he's saying putting on the nature of God, putting on how God thinks, putting on God's perspective, putting on God's faith and, and saying, God, soak me with faith. Give me the faith. Give me what I need. Putting on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, putting on the shoes of peace. It's putting on the nature of God. It's the nature of God. It's a transformation. So sometimes we take spiritual warfare and we make it too spiritual. See, we make it so much about spiritual warfare that we don't take any personal responsibility. The devil made me do it. That's why I cut that person off and, and almost killed them. It was the devil, it wasn't me. Or on the other side, we don't recognize that there's a darkness at all. We just think, well, it just, you know, things happen. No, see, the armor of God is actually a personal responsibility of response to God. It's a personal responsibility saying, I am choosing to respond to the Holy Spirit and have him transform who I am. A response requires what? Responsibility. Saying, God, I want you to transform me. I don't wanna think the same. I don't wanna look the same. I don't wanna approach my problems the same. God, I want you to set me free. So I'm going to choose to respond to your grace and have transformation in my life. This is what he's saying when he's saying, put on the armor of God. He wants us to put on the nature and the person of God. He wants us to put on God's nature. That's why, that's why he says we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is Christ's attitude and Christ's approach. We can have Christ's attitude and Christ's approach to any situation, to any circumstance, to anything that's going on. Why? Because we can put on his nature. So when the Apostle Paul talks about in four and five, when he talks about uh, how, how, how our spiritual gifts should look like, how our marriages should look like, how our relationships should look like, how we should work at work, and how should we do all these different things, and how is the unity in the church, all of these things are mentioned in Ephesians four through five. It's all culminated in the fact that you only can do that if you live in the transformed nature of God. If you wanna have healthy marriages, we have to be transformed. If we wanna be a healthy employee or employer, guess what, we gotta be transformed by the, by, the, by, by, by the nature of God. If we wanna be those who walk in the spiritual gifts and, and the fivefold ministry, guess what, you have to be transformed by the nature of God. So Ephesians 6 is just wrapping this all together saying, hey, it's time to be transformed. It's time to put on the nature of God. So spiritual warfare, I would try to break it down into these three things. Number one is salvation. Salvation is your declaration of whose kingdom you're serving. When you get saved and you say, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth and you get baptized, it's a natural declaration to a spiritual fight. You're saying, I am now on God's side. I am now on the side of Jesus. I am now gonna be following the kingdom of heaven. I'm no longer following the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of self. I am choosing this day who I am serving and I am serving God. Salvation is a declaration 
Transformation, though, is, is, a, is our greatest defense to, as we become more like Christ. So salvation is your declaration in this war. Transformation is your defense. As you are transformed, guess what? It's going to create a defense, a wall around you, because you're no longer responding or reacting based off your natural feelings, inclinations, impulses, desires, but you are now responding from the very desires and nature of God himself, and that is the thing that defends you in this spiritual fight. So the things that you thought were natural, but it's really the enemy trying to attack you, when you have the nature of God, you see, for, you see it for what it is, and you begin to not engage on the natural, but you engage in the spirit, because that's what God is doing. So the greatest defense is your transformation. But then the greatest offense, the greatest is your demonstration. So God is not just a defensive God. He doesn't just want us to sit and wait for the attacks to come. He's actually given us some things to advance, to attack, to demonstrate what God is doing and that we actually have victory and power and authority in this spiritual warfare. So first it's salvation, then it's transformation, but then it's demonstration. And the demonstrations of this, point number two, is power, prayer, and perseverance. Power, prayer, and perseverance. Right here it says this, it says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Power is the capacity for God to accomplish something. So as we are transformed into the image of God, guess what we're doing? We're also giving God more capacity to accomplish things in our life. We're giving him more room to accomplish things because we are giving him more control. The more control you give God, the more things he can do with your life. And this is the thing, God has power. That's why Romans 1, 16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power of salvation. The, our message is powerful, right? We were sinners, we were, we were broken. We were not the solution to our problem, we were our problem. We were sinners and we were far from God. And God says, I am gonna send Jesus to die in your place and that you could be saved and you could be set free. And there's power in that. Our message is powerful. God is saying this message is not just that that, that that leaves you where you're at, but it's pulling you to a place you never deserved. That is powerful. So our message is powerful, but also guess what? The word of God is powerful. It's any sharper than any two-edged sword. So when it says the sword of the spirit is the word of God, one of our weapons is this. First, our, our weapon is our message. The gospel message is a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because every time that we receive Jesus, his kingdom gets smaller and his kingdom gets bigger. So the kingdom of light will continue to grow because our message is going to continue to spread. And then, and then, then it's the word of God. The word of God is powerful. How did Jesus respond to any temptation? Through the word. He quoted the word of God. He lived the word of God. See, the word of God is any sharper than any two-edged sword. It can separate between bone and marrow, joint and or soul and spirit. And you know what it's saying in the context of that verse in Hebrews? That as you consume the word and as you read the word, what it's really doing is it's removing unbelief without you even realizing it. So sometimes we read the word and we're like, well, that didn't work. No, no, it did work. You just didn't realize it. It's removing unbelief. It's, it, 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 it's like a it cut that's so sharp, sometimes you don't feel it initially, but then you see the results. It's removing unbelief. It's taking away those things that, that, that don't belong in your new nature, that don't belong in your new thinking, that don't belong anymore. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. The word of God is not weak and ineffective. It is powerful. That's why it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that every word is God-breathed. It gives you life in your soul. It gives you vitality in your spirit. If your mind is cloudy, guess what? The word of God will heal you. The only time really you see the word success in the Bible is in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And it says this, that he meditated on the word day and night. And God gave him success and made his ways prosperous. 
When we quote the word, when we study the word, when we meditate on the word, guess what? It's, that's what success is in the kingdom, to understand what God is saying in his word, to get wisdom from above, to get, this is the power that we carry. We, we carry the power of our message and we carry the power of the word of God. So this is our offensive weapon. The next thing is this, is prayer. Prayer is constant communication with God through the spirit to gain the perspective of God. Constant communication with God through the spirit to gain the perspective of God. Prayer is not about me telling God about my earthly problems and trying to give him my perspective. That's what most of our prayer life is. God, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And honestly, this person is so annoying. And so prayer is about getting God's heavenly perspective on our earthly problems. Opening up a line of communication constantly and continually. Said this in the last service, but in our marriage, if someone asked me, hey, can we go to lunch? The first thing I'm gonna say to you, I promise you, is let me ask Nancy, my wife, if you didn't know who that was. Somebody like, who's Nancy? It's my wife. That shows you who's in charge of the marriage, right? <laughs> let, me, let me consider my wife for a second, right? That's what we should do with God. Who's really in charge is the person that you consider when you need to make a decision. The person you consider when you're in a relationship. So, so, hey, God, what should I do? That's prayer. Prayer doesn't always have to be this long, drawn out, loud, crazy, speaking in tongues thing. Sometimes we make prayer something and it's so intimidating, but prayer is simply just communicating with God, considering God, talking with God, opening up the, the, the line of communication saying, God, I want you to speak to every area of my life. Can we communicate? Can we talk? This is an offensive weapon that God has given us. Prayer is to gain the perspective of heaven. It's also to petition for our brothers and sisters. That's called intercession. So when we pray on the behalf of somebody else, that's called intercession. We should be praying for other people all the time. That's what Jesus is doing for us. It says daily, he makes delight in intercession for us. So daily, Jesus is excited to pray for you and me. He's excited to intercede on our behalf, to plead on our behalf and pray on our behalf. So shouldn't we do the same? We should be excited to petition for our brothers and sisters and pray for people and pray for our world. We should be excited to have communication with God because he has given us the opportunity to communicate to the creator of heaven and earth. That is outstanding and incredible. And it's something that we should do all the time. Amen? But the apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians, he sets it up. He talks about what Jesus did. See, to, pr to pray or to, to not pray and know the word of, and know what Jesus has done is, is dead religion. If you know what Jesus has done and you choose not to pray, that means you don't understand what Jesus did. I know that's harsh, but let's think about it. Jesus took your place on the cross. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And yet you choose to not talk to him if you've received it. So it, to, to understand what Jesus has done and to not pray is dead religion, but to pray and not understand what Jesus has done is ineffective. Because then we think that it's our prayers and it's me making the difference. Really, you have to understand it's all through Jesus and I'm only petitioning through Jesus. So sometimes we don't understand what Jesus has done. We don't even, you know, I'm not gonna study theology at all. I'm just gonna pray. We make it about my faith. I healed somebody when I prayed. No, no, you didn't heal nobody. God healed somebody. I restore when I pray, guess what? You're, that's awesome, we're glad you pray, but you don't restore, God restores. It's God, it's understanding who God is and how he wants to work through you, but prayer is a powerful tool. And the third thing that we see in our offensive weapon is perseverance, perseverance. See how many times I talked about stand therefore, stand. Strengthen yourself to stand, not to fight, to stand. 
One of the greatest things we can do in this fight when the kingdom of darkness tries to come against you, because it will, is don't give up. Don't quit. When we don't quit, what it does to the enemy and says, you don't control me anymore. The things that made you used to quit, the things that maybe you, you used to throw in the towel and I'm done, I can't do it anymore. Those things don't make you quit anymore. You have perseverance. You've been strengthened by the, and, and it's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit. And for the Jewish believers, they understood the armor of God as being the character and the nature of God. But for the Gentile believers, when they, when they think of warfare, they thought of, they thought of the Roman centurions. And they fought war together. They never fought it alone. If they would move together, they would move in a group. And they would, it, it, when, the, when the shields would go up, they would have shields on the roof and shields on the side and shields in the front. It was all together and it required everyone to walk together. Perseverance requires community. Galatians 6 says this, bear each other's burdens. Don't let, if someone falls down, pick them back up as this, lest you do the same. This is a walk together, right? And it says this, if you want to receive the harvest in your life, all you have to do is this. It's really simple in Galatians 6. Don't give up. It says, it says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will see harvest if you don't quit. Don't quit. And we have to do it together. We walk together. We fight together. We war together. And in that place, we have perseverance. So we can advance the kingdom of God with the message and the word of God. We can advance the kingdom of God with our prayers and communicating with God. And we advance the kingdom of God by not quitting. Don't quit. I want to share with someone today, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. I know it's tough. I know you feel the pressure is coming up. Don't quit. Don't give up because perseverance is what God has strengthened you for and designed you for. God has designed and given you the ability through the Holy Spirit to not give up. Don't quit, don't quit. Don't quit on God, don't quit on what God has gotten for you. And the keys can come on up, this is where I finish. So the first thing is this, in our spiritual warfare, we've gotta put on the person of God. The second thing, our offensive weapon is we gotta have power, prayer and perseverance. But the third thing is this is really the most important. Next week, we're gonna go deeper into this and talk about the keys to the kingdom, but it's the perspective. We've gotta get the perspective of God. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says this. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? So no matter how much the enemy wants to convince you that you're losing, guess what? In God, you still win. Let's look at our world right now. Read your newsfeed. It's always like, man, we're, I don't know if we're doing too good right now. Like, God, I think we might be losing. The kingdom of, of darkness wants to convince you that God is not winning, but he is. If you could look in the spiritual realm right now, everywhere around you would probably be pitch dark, but the places you're gonna see light beaming up because it's believers. And every time someone becomes a believer, guess what? Darkness is extinguished and the kingdom grows smaller and smaller and smaller. So what he's trying to convince us is that he's winning, but he's not. Did you read that verse? There is nothing, no spiritual powers, no demons, no nothing. See, sometimes we give too much credit to the enemy and saying, wow, you're controlling me. It cannot control you. Because the love of God is in you. And if the love of God is in you, there's nothing that can separate you from that. No spiritual power of this world can do that. Because in our spiritual kingdom, our God wins. The enemy wants to keep you in Romans 7. When God is asking you to go to Romans 8. Romans 7 says this, Oh wretched man that I am, the things I don't want to do, I do. 
The things I want to do, I don't do. My God, help me. He wants to keep you there. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing, you know, I'm trying, I'm working hard. The things I don't want to do, I, I do them constantly. 21 times in Romans 7, it uses the word I or me. 21 times in Romans 8, it uses the word spirit. It's because the perspective of heaven gets it off yourself and puts it on God. And when your perspective, and we start focusing on God and who he is, guess what? He'll transform who you are. But too often the enemy is trying to convince you that you're losing in this fight. Oh, the things I don't wanna do, I do. The things, oh man, it's just tiring this Christian thing. And he's saying, go to Romans 8, go to Romans 8. Romans 8 verse one says this, now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, if you've accepted me, guess what? There's no such thing as being unfit for use. I've got a call for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got something for you. I got my spirit. I got my grace. I'm bringing you into adoption. Come on. Those who have the spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. So you get the spirit of adoption. You get the identity. You get comfort. You get confirmation. You get perspective. And perspective is this. That's why he finishes now that we are more than conquerors. I would have been pumped like you in the back and said, I'm a conqueror. But it doesn't just say you're a conqueror, does it? It says you're more than that. You're more than the fight that you're fighting. You're more than this. You are a son and a daughter of God. And one day, the pain you are going through, it will cease because one day Christ will return and establish a new heavens and a new earth. And in that place, there is no sickness. There is no pain. There is no hurt. There is no death. No more. It's gone. And guess what? We will rule and reign with God himself. It says we will rule angels in the new heavens and the new earth. So we have something to look forward to. And we understand that this fight is not for right now. It is a spiritual fight that God is going to bring to the culmination at the end of time. So just wait. Don't quit because you win. The devil doesn't win. How could the devil win? There's nothing that can separate us from the greatest power in this universe, which is the love of Jesus Christ himself. Why is that? Because he was in heaven. He was in that perfect place with no sin, with no sickness, with no shame, none of it. He was there. In fact, he was on the throne with God. He was the son of God. Yet he said, I'm going to take on their pain. I'm going to take on their enduring uh, temptations. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to pay the punishment that they deserve so they don't have to get my wrath if they don't want to. That's why it's so powerful because it, we didn't deserve it. And he took it all and he said, hey, I'm taking that. And there's nothing that can separate you if you choose to put your faith in God. But he wants to give you a perspective today that this fight is not a fight of the flesh. That's why Romans 7, he's stuck because he's trying to fight this fight on his own willpower and his own self-control. Well, if I could just try harder and read my Bible more and you know, the Bible app has those daily Bible reading. If I can do that maybe 10 times a day, I'll be free. And the Bible's good, but all that isn't, it's about us. We don't wanna make it about us. We wanna make it about the spirit of God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.